Half the battle is back. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host. And man, we got to talk about Carlos Condit versus Damian Maya. It's going to be a hell of a fight this Saturday in Vancouver. So you know I got the Canadian All-Stars in the house, James Lynch from the Parting Shot Podcast, and Cody Saftik from Bookie Beatdown. We're making the tradition alive. And James Lynch, what's up, my man? Nothing much, man. Glad to have, uh, glad to be back on the program, I should say, and uh, happy to do so with my fellow Canadian uh, Cody right here. So this is great. Cody, we went from Saskatoon to Vancouver. We're traveling all over Canada. Welcome back to the show, man. Thanks, man. If I'm being honest, though, Canadian card, I want to see some Canadians on the main card. At the very least, why wouldn't you put Sarah Kaufman on this one? Just re-sign the girl, but that's the <laughs> in me. Indeed, and I got to say, you know, for those that haven't been to Vancouver, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to in my life. You know, I went there as a child, you know, under 10 years old, but I still remember it. The, the I think we got him back here. Okay. So, oh. Vancouver is so good, he just he went speechless. I was going to say, you should be talking about Vancouver. You're the Canucks fan. Here. I am. Well, yeah, I'm actually born and raised in Vancouver. So, yeah, I'll just uh, keep this show alive. Uh, Vancouver's great. Try and get back whenever I can. I would have gone to this card and covered it, but I have a wedding to go to this weekend. Ironically enough, with a guy I went to high school with, he just happens to live in the States now. It's kind of a bummer. I'm, I'm kind of uh, bummed I'm not going to get to see this one. Kind of so. a bummer, yeah, absolutely. And they, well, they got a couple of Vancouver uh, guys in the card. Still Jeremy Kennedy. He's obviously yep. in uh, Vancouver. Well, I mean, see, it, it's going to get lumped in where you're like, oh, they're from Toronto. It's like, no, I see most of these guys aren't from Vancouver. They're from yeah. nearby areas of BC, like Surrey. And as yeah. a result, although I think Shane Campbell lives in Vancouver now. Well, he lives in uh, Kelowna, Tashido, right? So, right, 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 right. And then Ryan James lives in Victoria. He was adopted, uh, How right? Kelowna from Vancouver? Oh, like three hours. It's, like it's, three hours, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like London to here, basically, if not a bit further. So, right. anyways. I appreciate, you guys, I appreciate you guys taking over. I don't know what happened. But listen, if that happens again... You know, you guys are both hosts <laughs> of your own respective We, we got it covered. There was a little so, bit of a pause, but then know, Cody picked things up. It was good. You, you, guys, you guys know the drill by now. And, uh, well, last, last place I left off, like I said, very good memories of Vancouver. It's an absolutely beautiful place, so it's good to see the UFC return there. And, man, we got a hell of a card. So let's start with that featured five-pass prelim. We got Chad Lepree. He's minus 300. The comeback on T-Belt Gowdy is plus 250. Now, both of these guys have 11-2 and two records. And, you know, on paper, I understand why Chad Lepree is minus 300. I mean, won the ultimate fighter. He's won fights in the UFC. But the way the styles match up also um, – his opponent, Tibau Gaudi's look not the best in the UFC. But the way the styles match up, they're both strikers. So when you see that plus 250, it's one of these spots where do you want to risk, you know, maybe Lepre getting knocked out because he has been chinny in the past. You know, he kind of took a – he kind of pulled guard in that Trinaldo fight after he got rocked. The the Ross Pearson fight, you'd think he'd be a little bit faster than Ross Pearson. And this kid, Tibau Gaudi, even though he's looked like shit in the UFC, he can crack. He's training with six-gun Gibson, so – when you're training with a coach like that, you know that you're improving every single day. So it's one of those things where it's like, are you willing to take the chance to see if he's made those improvements or not? Because, look, his UFC debut, he goes out there. He gets starched in 21 seconds. So you think to yourself, it can't get any worse than that, right? Well, he comes back, and he actually won the first round and a half against OAM. But then, uh, you know, he got taken down by the stronger guy. I don't think Lepre's going to take him down. So I think it's going to be striker versus striker. And, man, it's going to come down to who's better. On paper, Lepre's better, but I don't fault the shot 
on Gaudi here, but it, it has to be a half unit shot. You know, you can't go big on Gaudi here. Lepre's the rightful favorite, but you know, you can't measure the improvements that these young guys are making, especially training with such great coaches, training at elevation and in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So honestly, I would not be surprised with the upset. I'm going to stay away unless I see something on the scales and maybe take a small shot on Gaudi, but I'm staying away, man. What do you think, James? I, I agree with you. Um, I'm not sold on Chad Laprise at this point. Uh, he takes way too many shots, even in his wins. Uh, I remember in Montreal, uh, in, in the fight that he had in 2015, uh, you know, get, getting eaten a lot of shots in that fight um, against, uh, was, that was Brian Barberena, I think he fought in that fight. And that, that was a close fight. I mean, it shouldn't have been that close, and it was. So uh, for me, I just, I, I, as soon as I saw this fight on paper, though, my first thought was, oh, they're trying to give Laprise a win here because, like you said, Dan, uh, Gaudi got the win over o Olivier. Olivier, you know, was beaten by Laprise is a teammate of his. That's sort of how I see this fight, but not a chance in hell I'm going to lay any money on this fight. Even on Goody at this point, I haven't been impressed. Um, I know he's working with Brandon Gibson, but how much attention has Gibson been giving to this guy? Because Gibson's been working with Carlos Condit and, of course, Donald Cerrone last week on his card, so that's something to consider. But, uh, yeah, I think Laprise wins the decision, but I don't expect him to blow uh, Goody out of the water by any means. Yeah, very good point uh, about the specialized attention. But, you know, there are some other good training partners, all the Dagestanis. Those are, you know, those guys are putting it on Gaudi every single day. And, Cody, you know, there's certain losses that you don't come back the same from. For example, Terry Edom versus Edson Barboza. Edom was never the same after that fight. But in uh, Gaudi's fight against... Um, against Pacquiao, and yeah, it was embarrassing, but you can still rebound from a loss like that, and even though he lost his next fight against OAM, at least he had a better showing, so now his back's against the wall, is he going to cash as a plus 250 underdog? Well, the underdog money is really the only chance that you would want to go with this guy, because yeah, I mean, certainly on paper, Chad Laprise is the cleaner striker, he's not going to try to knock this guy out, I mean, obviously he'll try to knock him out, but it'll be more so Chad Laprise trying to outpoint Thibaut Gaudi while Thibaut Gaudi tries to knock out Chad Laprise. Will he be able to land that shot? I'm not so sure. And as you said, Chad Laprise is not going to try to take him down. That's another thing about him, right? When he fought Yost Danny Cedeno, I didn't think he was going to try to take him down either, but the entire fight, he's taking him down. He's got that in his in his bag, and he knows training with Olivier Aubé-Mercier. Listen, I know the path to victory to beating this guy. I know how dangerous he is. He's a smart enough guy that I think he'll try to take him down. He'll try to outpoint him. He'll just try to be clean here. That fight with Ross Pearson, close fight, split decision. I thought he lost that fight, to be honest with you. However, it was a split decision in a really close fight with Ross Pearson, who's obviously a much cleaner, technical, just better all-around striker than Thibaut Gaudi. But when you look at that price tag, it's like, listen, does Thibaut Gaudi have a shot? Absolutely. Would I half unit play it at that price? Absolutely. Listen, not only is he training at Jackson, not only does he have good striking, look back on his... He tried to make it into the Ultimate Fighter. I think season 23 with Conor McGregor, he fought David Taymor in a fight to get into this. Now, we all know now how good David Taymor is. And that fight is one of the best fights. Just watch it for the fun of it. It is amazing. Welcome back, guys. So our first stream cut out, but fear not. We are here. We're trying to get Cody back in the house, but we got James Lynch in the house, and we're going to be talking about some of these earlier prelims because, I mean, James, you interviewed some of these guys firsthand, most of them actually. So you got the inside scoop. Tell me what the deal is. Let, let's see what uh, the first fight of the night is. We got Adam Hunter, not to be confused with my boy, MMA Roasted, <laughs> and he's a minus 160 favorite, and the comeback on Ryan James is plus 140. Now, what I know about these guys is Adam Hunter is more of your brawler type of guy, and Ryan James, most of his wins are via submission, but I wasn't able to watch much tape on him, so I don't know if he's strictly a jiu-jitsu guy or if he's a drop-you 
and submit you kind of guys. So, James, can you kind of clarify the style difference between the two guys? Yeah, you're not alone with Jane's. Uh, BFL is the promotion that he fought for, and it's nearly impossible to find footage on Ryan Jane's at all. So uh, a lot of us are kind of blindly going into this. The one thing we do know is that Ryan Jane's hasn't fought at all this year, and that's a bit concerning. Uh, he's had difficulty finding fights. In my interview with him, he sort of talked about this, how you know it's it's just it's tough for him to find fights, so much so that he had to rematch a guy he already beat in David Perron. So uh, you've got Jane's, who's you know really good on the ground. You've got Hunter, who's got really good stand-up, coming off a big win over Chris Dempsey. It, it's it's a tough fight to kind of pick at this one. Um, you know, I, I there's I will say though, you know, Jane's by decision is plus four oh five. Um, you know, if he can't get the submission and he's able to kind of grind out uh, Adam Hunter, that might be a, a decent bet. But overall, this is a tough one. I think if I had to gun to my head, make a pick, I'd probably say Hunter by KO. But Jane's has never been finished before. But uh, so so it's tough to say as far as far as these two go. But uh, you know, interesting to see two middleweights, two Canadians making their debuts on this card. And uh, honestly, I, I don't think anyone can be that confident in a pick in this fight because there just isn't enough to kind of base it off of. Now, James, from what you have been able to gather, do we yeah. know if Adam Hunter has a get-up game? Can he get up from being taken down? Yes, yes, he can. Uh, you know, there's there's certain fights where you know he's had to overcome adversity and things of that nature. So he does have that experience heading into this one, as far as uh, you know, being put in those places that he might not like, type thing. Um, so it, it's you know, I think again, we just know kind of what's on paper at this point. But uh, for me, I think uh, I think Hunter probably wins. But if he doesn't, then I think James probably wins a decision because uh, you know, like I said, Hunter only has the one loss in his resume. He's a tough guy, very tough to submit. And also, off the top of your head, do you know if any of them have fought recently? I know we can both look it up, but off the top of your head real quick. I've yeah, Hunter fought Chris Dempsey actually about a month and a bit ago. Uh, so I think actually he might have been back in April when he fought. And he's actually fought, I think, two or three times this year. So Hunter's been a lot more active. Jane's hasn't fought since, I think, October of last year. So that's a long layoff, you know. I know okay. for some guys it doesn't affect people, but, uh, you know, that is something to consider when uh, breaking down this matchup. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, for guys that are experienced, it might not matter. But, you know, making your UFC debut off a layoff, that's a very good point you bring to the table, James. So next up, we got to talk about Alex Ricci. I know you're excited to talk about this one, James. Yeah. Plus 135. And Jeremy Kennedy is minus 155. Now, from what I know, Alex Ricci is an old school, you know, Canadian vet. He's been around the scene for a long time. He's been waiting for his shot in the big show. Now he's finally getting it. And with Jeremy Kennedy, he's a young stud. But word on the street is he's moving up a weight class for that opportunity to make it into the UFC. Now, listen, the, the bigger guy doesn't know his win, as you saw last week with uh, Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz. So uh, what, what's your pick here, James? Yeah, I think my pick in this fight is, is going to have to be Jeremy Kennedy. Uh, just based off paper, I think he is the better fighter. But again, how is he going to deal with the size of an Alex Ricci? Now, the one interesting thing about this fight, uh, Dan, is that Jeremy spent time at Toshito MMA. And who's at Toshito MMA? you got Shane Campbell, who's also on this card. Shane Campbell is a very, very, very big lightweight fighter. Uh, so training with a guy like that, I think, is only going to pay dividends in this matchup. You know, he's supposed to fight Josh Emmett. I think fighting Ricci is actually kind of catching him a little bit of a break. Now, Ricci... Very impressive, only has three losses. Two of those losses are to UFC vets, Daryl Horcher and Jesse Ronson. The other losses are Ryan Healy, but overall he's looked good in all of his fights. I saw him uh, fight live last year at Global Warriors against a very tough guy out of Windsor by the name of Kyle Prepelek, and, and basically Ricci used his size to kind of win himself a decision in this one. So uh, Kennedy's a lot better than Kyle Prepelek in my opinion. I think uh, Ricci is, is gonna have problems with, with Kennedy in certain areas. So I think Kennedy will win a decision here, but again, not a super confident 
good pick here because of the fact that this is on short notice. And I think Ricci, experience-wise, has fought the better guys. One other win that he has that I should mention is over former CES lightweight champion Luis Felix. Uh, that was a big win for him and, and obviously one that uh, you know he's, he's sort of uh, worn as a badge of honor, so to speak. So got to give Ricci credit for that. Absolutely. Now, next up, we got Kyle Bochniak. He's minus 170, and the comeback on Enrique Barzola is plus 150. Now, Kyle Bochniak impressed me in his UFC debut against mm -hmm. Charles Rosa. If you if you went back and you watched all his old fights in the regional scene, man, he really rose to the occasion in his UFC debut because, man, you know, I was thinking, man, Rosa's going to knock this dude out in the first round. And that wasn't just because, you know, Rosa's experience and the other guy isn't. It was because on the regional scene, he just didn't look that good. But then when he stepped up to under those bright lights, man, he performed. So, you know, that gives me hope that, you know, he's going to evolve and be even better in his sophomore appearance. And he's taking on a guy in Enrique Barzola, who you recall uh, the man that just got knocked out by Teruto Ishihara, uh, Horacio Gutierrez. He actually went all three rounds with Enrique Barzola. Enrique basically used a wrestling game plan to grind him out all three rounds. I don't think that's going to work here against Kyle Bochniak, you know. And uh, many can make the argument that Bochniak defeated Rosa, you know, that was a very uh, closely contested fight. And I think now he's finally going to get his first UFC victory at UFC Vancouver. What do you think, James? I agree with you. And, you know, let's talk about the fact that uh, Bocinac took that fight against Rosa literally, literally on like a week's notice, not even. He had fought, I believe, the weekend or two before at CES. So might have been a little bit burnt out. Um, and, and, you know, fighting a guy in Charles Rosa, who I think is very talented. Uh, his record might not show it in the UFC, but a very talented fighter. So the fact that Bocinac, you know, went three rounds with Charles Rosa speaks volumes. I think he's going to get the win here. Now that he has a full training camp, now that he's able to sort of really show off some of the stuff we did see in the Rosa fight, but I feel like he'll be more successful in it. And I think uh, Kyle Bochniak wins the decision here. I think he, uh, you know, mainly just wants to get the win here. Doesn't have to do anything flashy, anything fancy, but he'll use his wrestling and really just sort of control the fight and, and get a three-round decision. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that Charles Rosa's record, maybe on paper, hasn't been the most impressive, but you look deeper into it. I mean, the guy goes to a split decision with Yair Rodriguez in Mexico City in that 12,000 feet uh, altitude ele elevation. I mean, the, the, the kid's a stud, and for Kyle Bochniak to come into his UFC debut, you know, look the way he did on the regional scene and then really rise in that debut. I was very impressed, and I think he's going to get that victory here over Barzola. Now, Cody, I mean, are we going to complete the hat trick or what? Yeah, he just seems to be bigger and stronger all over. And when you see the Charles Rosa fight, I mean, Charles Rosa, known as a striker who does have very, you know, very good grappling credentials, he can't take Bochniak down at all. And I'm talking, like, deep on takedowns. He's got single legs where Bochniak's legs fully extended above his head, and the guy's got good balance. And that's basically all Enrique Barzola has is that takedown, and he'll go to it over and over again. But we've even seen his last time out. I mean, when he gets stuffed, he just tries to go back to the takedown. There's not really a plan B. And then you can get away with that against Horatio Gutierrez, but you can't get past that at the next level. Is Bochniak to the next level? Maybe not, but I think good enough here to get the win. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we all agree now. Next up, here's my first play of the night. We got Alessio DiCirico. Right now, I'm looking at a, a minus 225 on dimes, but he's still currently minus 210 on bet DSI and bookmaker. So I'd, uh, I'd take a gander if I were you. Now, we got Alessio DiCirico versus Gareth McClellan. The comeback on McClellan 
is plus 185. Now, man, I love DiCirico in this spot. You know, in his UFC debut, he went out there against Boyan Velichkovic. Boyan is an expert point fighter, so there's a reason that fight was so close, because you don't just go in there and get into a brawl with Boyan. This guy is constantly, you know, on the back pedal. He's jabbing. He's moving. You saw his fight against my teammate, Mike Graves, how he was fighting off the hands when Graves had his back. I mean, Boyan's no slouch, and for Alessio to come in there in his UFC debut and put on the kind of performance that he did, that was a big statement for me. And you know what we like to say, that dudes come back better in their second uh, UFC appearances, and I think that's going to be the case here with Gareth McClellan. Look, I got a lot of respect for him because in the South African scene, not a lot of guys make it to the UFC. So for him to be you know, the second guy, I believe Ruan Potts is the first, for him to be the second guy from South Africa to make it to the UFC, hey, Big ups to you, man. You know, you're doing big things for your scene. But listen, man, you are who you surround yourself with. That's a famous quote. Alessio DiCirico, his main sparring partner, is my boy Christoph Jocko. This other dude, Gareth McClellan's main training partner, is Ruan Potts. You are who you surround yourself with. I put three units on Alessio DiCirico at minus 210. I don't always lay the chalk, but when I do, it's in situations like this. I believe that Alessio DiCirico can cruise to a decision. I also believe he can finish Gareth McClellan. The only thing, there is a size difference. You know, McClellan is the bigger guy. He's a former rugby player. But I mean, look, man, this is martial arts. In this spot, I think skill is going to beat size, and it's going to beat size in a big way. Now, Cody, you with me here, man? Man, we going Alessio DiCirico or what? Yeah, I'm feeling DiCirico for sure, man. I mean, it seems like Italian MMA is back, and we've seen that last time around with uh, Marvin Vittori. These kids are coming over stateside. They're not staying in Italy. They're making their name there. They're getting experience. They're fighting good international opponents. They're coming over. That I can't say enough good things about them in these spots. I think DiCirico in his UFC debut, I actually thought he should have probably won against Bojan Velikovic. It was a tough spot. They were in Croatia. Boy, Bojan Velikovic, obviously the hometown guy, so to speak, him being uh, from the region. And uh, I just thought that he led a good account of himself. The one thing that does worry me is because it is at minus 210, it's like, okay, well, what are Gareth McClellan's paths to victories? And not much, except for that Stalin brawl. Stalin brawl against the cage, Stalin brawl against the cage. Now, when you look at Velikovic, Velikovic's not a middleweight. He's a big welterweight, but facts are facts is the guy's a welterweight. And he's able to go out there and kind of outmuscle DiCirico ever so slightly. So when I think about Gareth McClellan, he can do the same thing. Problem is, can you do the same thing for 15 minutes? No. And if he can do it for two rounds and he can get two rounds in the bank, can he survive? Because we've seen, you know, once you start pouring it on this guy, he kind of just fades out. And he's so big and thick. His cardio is just not great to begin with. He's going to be traveling all this way over from South Africa to get in the fight in the first place. I don't know. The just cards are definitely stacked against him. 210 is not great, but yeah, yeah, I'm feeling Dietrico. Well, see, my thing with the 210 is I think it should be minus 4 or 5. So to me, there's actually value in the spot. Just like last week when uh, – Tim Means was minus 400, and I thought he should have been minus 1,000. I, I think it's a, a similar kind of thing. Even though, you know, DiCirico is nowhere near as experienced as Means, I just think the skill deficit, it, you know, it's that kind of situation here. So, yeah, you know, maybe McClellan gets an early takedown, but as you saw in that Boyan fight, Alessio can get right back up to his feet, and I think he's going to look even better in his second fight. So what do you think, James? 
Yeah, I got to complete the hat trick here, guys. I definitely agree that uh, G. Chiriro is, is going to get the job done here. And like Cody, I felt that that fight against Boyan Velikovic was very, very, very close. Um, it could have gone either way. So no no shame in losing to a guy like that. I think that we are going to see the real uh, D. Chiricho in this fight. And I'm expecting a finish, just like kind of Dan was alluding to. I think he can get maybe a second-round knockout, second-round submission, something like that. This guy likes to finish fights. I know we didn't get to see it in his debut, but uh, you look at his past fights. Most of them are finishes. Most of these don't go to the decision. So I think we're going to see that in this fight. Now that he's got the jitters out of the way, we're going to see a very impressive fight by uh, DeChiro in this one. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's mix things up. Let's skip right to the main card, and then we'll mm -hmm. come back for the prelims later. So we got Joe Lozon. He's minus 145, and the comeback on Jim Miller is plus 125. Look, both these guys are absolute warriors. They both come to fight. I mean, their first fight was absolutely incredible, but you shouldn't look at their first fight as a reference for this fight. Let, let, let's put it like this. The night that Jim Miller fought Joe Lozon was also the night that Chris Lieben fought Derek Brunson. So, I mean, like, come on. Like, don't, don't, don't put any stock into it. At this point in their respective careers, Joe Lozon's got a little bit more left in the tank, and he's faster. So I, I think he's going to go out there and knock out Jim Miller. Look, Jim's been on the decline for a long time. He used to be known as one of the toughest guys in the division. But, uh, you know, a couple uh, quit jobs later. And, man, it's no disrespect. The dude will whoop my ass. He's up there against Cowboys, Cerrone, Chiesa, Benny, all these tough guys. But uh, you know what happens to every great fighter. They, uh, they start losing the guys they shouldn't lose to. They slow down. I think Joe Lozon's going to finish Jim Miller. What do you think, James Lynch? Totally agree with you. I really like Joe Lozon's performance in his last fight where he knocked out Diego Sanchez. You know how hard it is to knock out Diego Sanchez? I realize that Sanchez is getting a little bit of wear and tear, but the fact that Lozon was able to do it so easily at UFC 200 on the big stage really impressed me. Now, Miller should be pointed out that he mentioned in his post-fight interview at UFC 200 he was suffering from Lyme disease. Uh, that apparently set him back in a lot of his fights, and he sort of blamed that on some of his losses. So, a lot of what we saw with Jim Miller and some of those other fights outside the, his last fight against Gomi, that should be sort of taken at, at, with a grain of salt. But uh, like you guys mentioned, Lozon the younger guy, a lot faster. I just think the speed and, and just the overall game of Joe Lozon is better than Jim Miller. And I'm expecting a finish in this one too, although I'll go by submission. I think he uh, gets it done and uh, sinks in a rear naked choke or something midway through the second round. Cody? You know, it's shocking because everyone keeps saying, you know, how much younger Joe Lozon is. And they're both 32, but here's the thing. Then when you think about that, you're like, oh, man, but Jim Miller's had a lot of wear and tear. And you're like, what about Joe Lozon? This guy's got wear and tear as well. And I'll tell you what, we've been clean, uh, completing a lot of hat tricks here. I I'm going to go the other way here. I'm going to say Jim Miller. I started off in the week on Joe Lozon for all the exact same reasons you guys are saying. He does seem like he's got more in the tank. His striking is faster. He just better point in his career, knocking out Diego Sanchez. And not only that, but just a flurry of punches. He gets him hurt early in the round, and he stays on him the entire time. He envisioned it. Joe Lozon's the man, don't get me wrong. But then I get thinking about it. It's like, listen, we're faulting Jim Miller because he's getting finished in a couple tough spots. Yeah, against guys that would likely do the same thing against Joe Lozon. When Joe Lozon tried to step up and fight the Anthony Pettises of the world, he also got humiliated. That's just what happens when you fight upper class. And I think with Joe Lozon, he's been winning a lot against lower class, so to speak. And I get the one thing here is Jim Miller lost that fight to Diego Sanchez, and he, he actually lost it. Most people can claim robbery, but he actually lost it. To me, that's just the biggest of red flags. But as James alluded to, if the Lyme disease thing is a real thing, then who knows? I mean, two fights ago for Joe Lozon, Evan Dunham absolutely thrashed this man. And, you know, it's a blend of using your hands, being more physical, dominating him. Jim Miller has already done this once in the past. It's, it's a tough spot because Joe, because it's a close line, honestly. It's not out of hand or anything like that. 
I see some, yeah, I would see betting it for Joe Lozon or passing, but yeah, we, we're all on the same page on all these fights here, so I'm going to have to disagree at least on one of them. <laughs> oh, don't worry. The disagreements are coming, but James Lynch, I know you got to get out of here soon, so let's get right to the co-main event of the evening between Anthony Showtime Pettis, who's a minus 185 favorite, and the comeback on Charles Dubronx Oliveira is plus 160. This is a hell of a fight. These two guys are super innovative, in my opinion. When Anthony Showtime Pettis did the Showtime kick, that was a marquee landmark moment for the sport. The next day in the gym, dudes are jumping off the wall, hitting the tie pads. And uh, nowadays, you see what that's evolved into when you look at a guy like Yair Rodriguez. You know, Anthony Showtime Pettis would do the occasional flash, but Yair Rodriguez throws spinning shit like it's a jab. So he's an innovator and a pioneer, in my opinion, in the sport. People might disagree because, you know, they've been watching the sport for a very long time. Look, I went back. I did all my homework, too, you know, but uh, he's one of these landmark fighters that, you know, he showed that it was okay to do those flashy moves that you, you say, man, you only see that shit in a Bruce Lee movie. He does it in real life, and, and he was the first guy to do it. And with Charles Dubrox... He's one of the first guys to really chain submissions off his back in the UFC. I mean, you remember his UFC debut against Darren Elkins, gets picked up and slammed, immediately a triangle, and then finishes him off with the armbar. So, uh, man, these two are total badasses, but at the end of the day, I think Anthony Showtime Pettis is a tougher fighter than uh, Charles Dubronx. I've seen Dubronx quit like three, four times in the UFC. You know, the, the Max Holloway fight, look, man. I'm not talking shit, but he fucking straight up quit in that fight. He got, he took a couple shots to the body, couldn't take him down, and he was like, fuck this. That's exactly what I would have done, too, if I would have fought Max Holloway. And, uh, you know, it says a torn esophagus, then two days later on UFC Tonight, he's perfectly fine. So I don't buy that for a second. And you want, you want even more evidence? Let's watch his fight with Cub Swanson, where he takes that big overhand right. I'm sure it hurt. I'm sure it hurt. But why do you fall down four seconds after, you know, Joe Rogan was like, check, please, you know what I'm saying? So, like, it was just one of those situations that was, it was kind of questionable. The Cowboy Cerrone fight, yeah, that was years ago. He's matured since then. He's gone the distance with Frankie Edgar since then. But if you have quit in you, you always have quit in you. And Anthony Pettis, despite getting his ass whooped in uh, two of his last three fights, he doesn't have quit in him, man. I mean, a lot of dudes could have quit in that RDA fight. He didn't. Also... Offensively speaking, he really didn't look that bad in the RDA fight. You know, people might think that sounds crazy, but go back and watch that fight. Not many dudes can take clean head kicks to the chin, and that's what RDA did. So Pettis is probably thinking to himself, like, what the fuck do I have to do to this guy? But I'll tell you what. You know who can't take a clean uh, head kick to the chin or a clean uh, body kick? Charles Dubronx Oliveira. So unless Dubronx catches his neck or something like that, I think Showtime's going to make a statement in his featherweight debut. My only concern... I was at his last fight with uh, Edson Barboza. I was walking through the hotel, hanging out with my friends, and I saw Showtime being carried by his girlfriend and his manager because that weight cut to 55 was super rough. So now, you know, you put two and two together, maybe this this weight cut to 45 is even tougher. But then again, you change little things in your diet, you and you hire Dolce like he did. A lot of people don't know that. He hired Dolce, so I think he's going to get down just fine. And one last thing. It's not like Charles Dubronx makes weight every time either. James Lynch, what do you think, my man? 
Wow, so much to talk about. A lot of shade thrown at Charles Oliveira, but but I do agree with you, and, and I'm glad you brought up the weight cut thing because Oliveira has missed weight a number of times in his UFC career, and I do think that puts him at a detriment in this fight. Now, Dan, breaking news here on the podcast. I know for a fact that Anthony Pettis is not working with Dolce anymore. He's actually working with another weight loss uh, specialist whose name I don't think I need to mention too much of, but I think he can put two and two together. He's worked with some other people at the Jackson camp. I'll just leave it at that. But uh, Pettis is, uh, I, I just think him going down to 45, as a movie should have made a little while ago. I think he'll make the weight. I think he'll be fine. You have to look at styles. You know, a lot of these fights, you know, he lost to RDA. RDA outstruck him. He lost to Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez, the master of the game plan. And then he loses to Barbosa, who, you know, we've just seen his striking get better and better. Is Charles Oliveira going to outstrike Anthony Pettis? Absolutely not. Is Charles Oliveira going to try and get this to the ground and submit Anthony Pettis? Probably. But Pettis has got a sick ground game himself. The only guy to submit Gilbert Melendez in his UFC career. So I think the fact that Pettis, you know, really has a clear path to victory where if he can see, keep this standing, I think he'll win the exchanges. And I like Anthony Pettis. You know, he's been in those championship fights. He's has the experience. You know, Oliveira's been in the UFC for a while too, but he doesn't have those high-level fights like an Anthony Pettis does. So I like Pettis in this fight. I think he wins the decision. I think he plays it safe and mainly just tries to get the win here. But I do think Anthony Pettis gets a job done in this fight. And I do think there is value on him at minus 185. Boom. Man! I did not know that he switched in the middle of his camp. That's news to me because one of his teammates told me recently about, uh, you know, the guy I mentioned. I know who you're referring to, and I had no idea. So maybe I sense a little bit of turmoil. And plus the weight cut, I mean, the new weight class, you know, it's uh, it's a little sketchy. But, hey, I got to go with Showtime Pettis inside the distance. What do you think, Cody? Yeah, you know, I'd obviously be worried that he's coming out, but but factor in, too, that's going to be early weigh-ins this time around as well. So if you do have a little bit of worries about Anthony Pettis, at least he'll somewhat be able to benefit from that. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, minus 185, I, I bet it at minus 175. I'm sure it's going to hang around the same bit for a bit, but I love Anthony Pettis in this spot. People are easy to write this guy off. It, it's not even that they're writing this guy off. Even Daniel Levy in his intro for him, he's talking about, oh, you know, this guy was a real innovator. What do you mean was an innovator? This guy's one of the best fighters in the UFC. Problem is, he's not physical enough to deal with these monsters at 155. And he has the same problem Frankie Edgar has. Is he talented? Yeah. Can he hang with almost anybody in the class? Yeah, but he's getting outsized. So now the guy's moving down to 45. Yeah, the weight cut's going to suck. But hey, you got to deal with it. He's a professional fighter. He's never missed weight. He's a former champion that's used to coming in on the money. He's going to go out there. He's going to do what he does best. And Charles Oliveira's problem is he's far too hittable. The guy gets hit in all of his fights. I'm talking about his wins. Look at those Nick Lenz fights. First one long time ago, sure, I get it, legal knee. Second one, it's almost a masterful performance for Charles Oliveira. It's like, wow, this guy's striking looks good. His grappling's crisp as always. It's like, what? Rewatch the fight. He gets hit left, right, and center. If he ties you up, you can hit him over the top. He stands so straight up, his head doesn't move, and he keeps his hands up so you can work his body. And listen, we've seen what Anthony Pettis can do with that left kick to the body. I think he chews him up. I think he finishes him. If you don't like minus 185, go Anthony Pettis inside the distance. But this is his time to show people I'm still Anthony Pettis. You know what I mean? It's just I'm a new version of him. Similar to when Frankie had to – listen, here's the, here's the, the correlation. Frankie also left 55, went down to 45, and you know who they gave him to see work your way out in this class? Charles Oliveira. I expect him to, 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 to get the win here. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. And, you know, I wonder what the round one prop is. That might even be worth a look. Because, look, this ain't Eddie Alvarez who's built like a brick shithouse and you can body kick that dude a hundred times and he'll smile at you. Charles Dubron, so you give him a nice little body kick, he might give you a look and you might take a knee. So, yeah, it's all about, you know, I hate saying the whole he's got to show up because, you know, that discredits the opponent. But, look, man, if Anthony's on his game here, 
I think he's going to do it. And it's not even like he didn't show up his last few fights. He was just, you know, the sport evolved. You know, it's one of those situations like Edgar where he was the lightweight champ at one point, and then the dudes just started getting bigger and bigger, and he had to drop a weight class. Now Edgar might even drop another weight class. So that's what's happening to Pettis here. He's going to drop to 45, and I think he's going to have success in that debut. My, my last point on this is if you look at it as well, uh, he had a split decision loss to Eddie Alvarez, who's the current number one. Rafael Dos Anjos, his other loss, is the current, well, he's number one, but he's the number two guy technically in the world. Edson Barbosa is sitting at number five. Those are top five guys. Now he's dropping down a weight class, and he's getting a top ten guy. So it's a different of weight class and a different of all-around physical martial arts skills class, and I think that's going to ultimately lead to uh, the Anthony Pettis victory. The main event of the evening, Carlos the Natural Born Killer Condit, the last ever WEC welterweight champion versus Damian Maya, the best jiu-jitsu practitioner in the history of the UFC. So we got Carlos Condit, who's minus 120, with the comeback on Damian Maya, plus 100. Damian Maya's been on a streak lately. He's been a grown man in grown men. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, Damian Maya's going to take you down. It's what happens after that that really counts, you know. Rory McDonald really laid out the blueprint on how to beat Damian Maya. And that's once you get taken down, you gotta utilize those butterfly hooks. You gotta make him pay for passing that guard. You know, you gotta get him tired. Then when you get back up to the feet, you gotta make him shoot for takedowns from a mile away pepper him, use that six-gun Gibson and a Mike Winkle John striking, and just make him pay. If this was three rounds, I'd be more concerned, but since there are an extra two rounds to work, I do believe that favors the natural-born killer who hasn't been submitted since 2006 when he fought uh, Pat Healy. And, you know, yeah. Pat Healy is the fucking man. I mean, look, Pat Healy, he's got fucking wins over finishes over Paul Daly, Carlos Conda, Dan Hardy. I mean, so many... Bobby Green, I think. So many – actually, no, Bobby Green beat his ass. But uh, he's got – so he, Blanco. He's got – Maximo Blanco. He's got so many good uh, victories under his belt. Jim Miller, I don't give a fuck if it says no contest. He finished Jim Miller. And, uh, man, he lost out on two bonuses because of some bullshit. But uh, <laughs> bottom line, man, yeah. So Carlos Condit, you know, so he does get criticized for his takedown defense, but he doesn't get criticized for his get-up game or his submission, his submission defense. You know, in that Johnny Hendricks fight, yeah, Johnny took him down a million times, but he kept getting back up, and he kept busting him up. Look, man, lots of dudes have been able to get back up from the takedowns from with uh, Maya. It's just dudes make stupid mistakes. Like Matt Brown, when he had Maya hurt in that third round, and, you know, he, he jumped into Maya's guard, and his sprawl wasn't good enough. And I think Carlos Khan has got, more, has got better fight IQ than my boy Matt Brown. Matt Brown's one of my all-time favorite fighters. But, look, man, I'm being objective here. I think Condit's a, a smarter fighter than him. Let's not forget the LaFleur fight where, uh, you know, Damien was so exhausted that he starts flopping to his back in that fifth round, gets deducted a point. You know, it's a 10-8 round for LaFleur. If you start flopping to your back against Carlos Condit, he's going to fucking finish you. And remember what happened last time Carlos Condit fought in Vancouver, that third-round uh, TKO of Rory McDonald, yep. where uh, he got taken down the first two rounds, and that third round he put it on him. You know, this is this is... You know, this isn't Rory McDonald. This is a guy that lost to Rory McDonald. They put the MMA math aside. I just think that Carlos Condit's going to utilize those butterfly hooks. The cardio is going to be on point, and at some point in this fight, he will knock out Damian Maya. James, what's up? 
Bold, I like it. Uh, I like Condit in this fight as well. And, you know, one thing we didn't even talk about here, Damian Maya is 38 years old. At some point, the steam has got to slow down on the Damian Maya train, and I think it ends here. You mentioned Condit with the fact that he has championship experience. I thought he beat Robbie Lawler. I know a lot of other people did as well. He should be wearing that UFC gold, but nonetheless, he has got it when it comes to the stand-up. If this fight stays standing, Damian Maya is in big trouble. If it gets to the ground, Condit is a guy who's been working a lot on his takedown defense as well as his submission defense. I don't think Maya gets him in trouble and has his way with him like he did with Matt Brown. I think Condit is able to keep this fight on the feet, and it's just a sparring match from here on out, and that's where Condit has the advantage. And I'm with you, Dan. I think Condit gets the finish, but I think it's going to be a little bit later when Maya is so tired, the age, everything else is going to sort of catch up to him with his cardio and everything, and I think Condit's going to get the TKO finish somewhere in the fourth round. And as you guys know, i got to get out of here, but I appreciate being on the program. Your followers can check me out on Twitter, at Lynch on Sports. Dan, Cody, thanks. It's always been a pleasure. Peace out, boys. Peace out, James Lynch. And Cody, you know, the one factor here for the natural born killer that I'm kind of worried about is, you know, anytime a fighter contemplates retirement, you know, you got to think twice if you really want to put your money on them. But at the same token, like James said, you know, Damian Maya is 38 years old. But, I, you know, I do believe he has the desire to be the champion. But at the same time, man, it all comes down to fists, kicks, knees, elbows, takedowns, chokes, arm locks, everything. And uh, who do you think is going to be the victor on Saturday night? You, you got such emotions coming to you after you lose a fight that they're like, well, when are you going to come back, Carlos? You're like, no, man, I want a title shot. Well, what if it's not a title shot? Well, then I don't want anything. Because you want people to be like, oh, no, no. Okay, we'll give you a title shot. We'll give you a title shot. Like I said, Tate did the same thing. She's beaten everybody. She wants to fight Rousey. They're like, no, you can't fight Rousey. She's like, well, I guess I'll just retire then. It's just kind of a bargaining chip, so to speak. This fight is completely, in my opinion, it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And if it was a three-round fight, I would consider that a sprint. I'd say Damian Maia is going to have the better chance in that. Five-round fight all day, man. I mean, listen, Carlos Condit picks up steam the longer the fight goes. If third, fourth, and fifth round, that's when he's throwing his most damage. That's when he's going out. The Thiago Alves fight, he bangs this guy up so bad within two rounds that the guy quits on his stool. The Martin Cameron fight, fourth round, he puts this guy down. George St. Pierre fight, he head kicks him in the fourth round. The Robbie Lawler fight, he's slinging punches in the fifth, fourth and fifth round. Damian Maia, meanwhile, as you said, he's getting a point deducted from him in the fifth round against Ryan LaFlair. And there is the key right here. Damian Maia beats a lot of good guys, but he beats the guys that aren't the champion-level guys. You know, and Carlos Condit's competing with the best guys. This would be, on paper, probably the biggest win of Damian Maia's career. Let's let's be fair here. And as I mentioned, it's a sprint. It's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Well... Damian Maya then needs to get the fight to the ground, which he absolutely can do and probably will do, and then finish this fight, which I don't think he will do, because even Ryan LaFlair can last 25 minutes, even Alexander Yakovlev can last 15 minutes with you on him in mount, even Matt Brown should have lasted the 15 minutes had he not made a stupid decision to pop his chin up. Listen, Damian Maya is the man, but even James said before he took off, 38 years old, that's a big key factor here. I think Carlos Condit finishes him late in the fight. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. And, man, it's going to be cool to see Carlos Condon get that victory. I really hope he pulls it off. I mean, how can you not be a fan of Carlos Condon? I know some people are going to say, oh, he ran away from Nick Diaz. Look, you don't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Nick Diaz, sorry. But, I mean, what about all the other classics that Carlos Condon gave us back in the WEC, even his UFC debut against Martin Kamen, and, and the rematch too? I mean, he just – he just always puts it all on the line. That's why we love a guy like Carlos Condit. And, uh, man, about Matt Brown, man, he should, Matt Brown should have finished that fight in the third round, man. You know, he had him. He had him days, but uh, he fucked up. I don't think Carlos Condit's going to fuck up. Any last uh, 
closing remarks on the main event, my man? No, I mean, that's exactly it. It's a fun main event, to be perfectly honest. If it was on 202, I'd have different thoughts on it completely. But literally, Daniel, the second that it got moved to a five-round main event, I knew 100%. There was no way. Because when I was going to bet Damian Maia, I was thinking, can he squeak out two rounds and hold on? Mm, I think he can. But in this case, no, man, no. Even in that fifth round, you know, I know he's flopping around, but look at it, right? He does the same thing you were talking about, the same thing he does to Matt Brown, same thing he does to everybody. He shoots really long takedowns, like from far out, and he just all he wants to do is hook your leg and yank you to the ground. That's it. And when he shoots it against Ryan LaFleur, Ryan LaFleur knees him to the body, and it folds him, and he's hurt. The Matt Brown fight, clipped. He hits the ground. He's hurt. Carlos Condit's nickname is the natural born killer, and for damn good reason. He's finished like 98% of his wins, and uh, that's how he fights, and that's dangerous to a guy like Damian Maya. It'd be really cool if he could implement, you know, a Matador style in this fight because with Damian, he charges dudes right out the gate, and look, his takedowns in the center of the octagon aren't the best. It's when he gets you up against the cage, that's when he's able to chain the, the takedowns together. You know, he, he's like a wrestler with his takedowns. He's not just a jiu-jitsu guy, and obviously he can pull guard too, but he's better at his uh, offensive wrestling. So, you know, dude, what if uh, Condit utilizes that same footwork utilized in the, uh, in the Nick Diaz fight? Stay away from him. You know, run around, point fight a little bit, and then once uh, Damian Maya starts huffing and puffing, once Damian Maya becomes the walking mummy, that's when you tee off on the guy. That's when you finish him and put him away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what? I mean, Damian Maia is actually just a really – for a guy that never wrestled collegiately, obviously. He's an elder Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. Uh, the guys, honestly, takedowns all – like, good all over, man. I mean, against the cage, sure, he's good. But if you look at those fights against LaFleur, the fight against Gunnar Nelson, uh, the fight against Rory McDonald, he'll hit the takedown in the open field. He'll just shoot for the takedown, the single leg predominantly. He'll hook the leg, and as you defend it, he'll just turn the corner on you and barrel you over. The problem is, and a guy like Carlos Condit does it excellently – He's really, uh, he's dirty in the clinch. He'll elbow you. He'll knee you. He'll do whatever possible. If he's on his back, he's going to be elbowing the crap out of Damian Maia's head. Damian Maia's a guy that doesn't like that. He prefers a slower pace. He's a gi jiu-jitsu guy. He's a purist. And for that reason, you got to make it dirty sometimes. If you want to get in a dirty fight, you're going to take Carlos Condit almost every single time. Unless it's Robbie Lawler. And once again, you know, I, I honestly thought Carlos Condit won that fight as well. So... You don't want to get in a dirty fight with Carlos Condit. And in a three-rounder, you can avoid that. In a five-rounder, he's going to force havoc. Yeah, and I can't emphasize this point enough. Rory McDonald really showed the blueprint on how to beat Damian Maia. I mean, look, if you get taken down, when you get taken down, you know, look, man, start utilizing those butterfly hooks. Let's say, let's say you get full-mounted by Damian Maia. Try to work back to half guard. Just make him work really damn hard for those dominant positions, you know? And if he does that, which I think he will do, plus you factor in his really good get-up game, you know, there's there's no choice but for Maya to not be tired, man. He's going to be fucking exhausted. He's going to be the walking mummy that he was in that Rory McDonald fight. Yo, yo, on top of that too, Damian Maya went on record one time and he said, he's like, listen, I don't want to hurt these guys. I'm not into hurting, you know, I'm in it to submit them and use my jujitsu and my martial art and this and that. That's his thing, right? At the end of the day, you see Damian Maya in so many mount positions where he doesn't pound the guy. He just doesn't. Opportunities there for him to lay some ground and pound and he doesn't. And then when you hear him make that quote, I don't want to hurt these guys. I'm not looking to soften them up with the ground and pound. Okay, fair enough. You know who's absolutely looking to bash your fucking head in with elbows is Carlos Condit. So you got a gentleman here against a gentleman, Carlos Condit, but a violent gentleman. 
And I think that, that that's the difference. It's just a different in personality. It's a different in fight style. And Damian Maya can I, – I sound like a broken record. He can win in a three-rounder. He absolutely can. He can win here too, sure, I suppose. But for the value, yeah, I'm going Carlos Condit. Another thing that Damian Maya said is he, he knows he has to finish this fight early. Like that's what him and his team were saying. They're like, we know we got to submit him in the first few rounds. And they didn't say why, but the reason why is the reason we've been alluding to this entire time because he's going to gas out and he's going to gas out hard in those later rounds. So, you know, hey, man, if Damian Maya can go out there and submit Carlos Condit, you know, I'll tip my cap to him. Much respect. But do I think that's going to happen? I don't. And I got Carlos Condit to knock out Damian Maya. Now, let's talk about some of these other fights, man. We got Paige Van Zandt. She's minus 210. The comeback on Beck Rawlings is plus 175. Now, it's funny. Beck Rawlings is the only fighter to ever block me on Twitter. I, we never had an interaction. But with that said, man, that plus 175, I don't think it's a bad play in this spot. Because, look, Paige Van Zandt, yeah, you know, she's aggressive. She's relentless. She has heart. I love all that kind of stuff. She's tough. But, man, she's not technical at all. You know, she's uh, she's really, really damn sloppy. And if this is going to be a, a brawl, which Paige Van Zandt is known for, she's known for brawling, Beck isn't the person you want to do that with. Beck is going to be a little crisper in the pocket. Plus, she has a mastermind like Dominic Cruz in her corner, also Eric Del Fiero. And the fact that she's moving from, uh, I forget if it's New Zealand or Australia, one of the two, the fact that she's making that 21-hour 20, trip to California that shows the amount of dedication she has. Now with Paige Van Zandt, as a fan, man, nothing but respect and admiration. Anytime you can go on Dancing with the Stars or do the commercials she's been doing, bring those eyeballs to our sport. I want to see this sport be the biggest sport on planet Earth. So thank you very much, Paige Van Zandt. But as a betting man, it's either Beck Rawlings or pass. That's my opinion. What do you think, Cody? Yeah, earlier on in the week, I was actually on Paige Van Zandt, mostly because of the uh, the cardio factor. I mean, if you look at her fights, she just breaks these girls down. I mean, talented girls as well. Like, uh, Fleece Harry's not all that talented. But, you know, Kylie Curran and uh, Alex Chambers are not that talented either. And that's the problem I'm getting at here, is that I, on paper, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, she's going out and she's putting on good performances. When you look back on it, it's like, all three of these girls could easily be cut tomorrow, and there would be very, very no, – no issue there. Now, Felice Harry, well, she's coming off win. Yeah, over Kylie Curran. So that's the bottom pool of the division, and she's looked exceptional against the bottom pool of the division. The one time she steps up, she gets humiliated. I mean, she gets flat-out beat the entire time, is never in it at, at one point in there. Now you take off that time to go to Dancing with the Stars, where you're obviously not training. You're back at the gym. And as you mentioned, oh, she's doing commercials. She's doing Dancing with the Stars. She's a celebrity, bro. And when she's in the gym, it's the same thing. Like It's almost like she gets special treatment. It's like, oh, Paige. Oh, good job, Paige. Oh, good. Like They're, they're almost just cheerleaders for her, right? Beck Rollins is training with an all-female team at Alliance that features a host of killers like Angela Hill and Jessica Panay, amongst others. She is training like a madman. And... Eric mad Delphine, woman. Mad woman. Yeah, well, if you see her now, she looks like <laughs> she's cast in Mad Max. You know what I mean? Like, she's just such a dangerous badass. I don't know why, you, I don't know why she blocked you. I met her one time in Toronto, actually. She's doing a couple seminars down here. She's a pretty badass girl. The one thing I did take from it is, though, she's not very athletic. She doesn't move laterally particularly well. She She's just, you know, she's not the smoothest fighter she doesn't got great footwork she's not technically sound but what she can do she can brawl it can, she can use her size against the better girls of the division they're gonna beat her all day all night however against a girl like Paige Van Zandt who's a inexperienced b 
likes to brawl, and is see not undersized, but certainly undersized compared to Beck Rawlings, then her big brute brawling style of just being the bigger girl who's more physical could absolutely work. Because it worked against Seo Hiham, who's just a small, athletic, good striker. The problem is Seo Hiham arguably won that fight. So I'm expecting Beck Rollins to be in a very, very close fight. The only reason I'm picking here is because minus 210 Paige Van Zandt. Ooh, if this is going to be as close as I think it's going to be, I don't want the minus 210 favorite. I want the dog all day. Yeah, you know how Connor says... I feel as if the heel will be a big weapon in this fight. For me, I feel as if the head and arm throw will be a big weapon in this fight. You know what I'm saying? But, hey, man, next up we got Sam Alvey. He's minus 225, the comeback on Kevin the King, Casey. Even though, uh, you know, man, I really want to talk shit. But, listen, man, you know, he had a loss in his family recently who was one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. So, I'll tip my cap to Kevin Casey and not talk any shit. He's plus 185. What I think is going to happen in this fight, look, Sam Alvey's got great takedown defense. The biggest issue when you're betting on him is there's times when he just doesn't fight. You'll just fucking stare at you. And uh, don't do not do that here, Sam, because I, I'm taking that, that, that shot on you. It's not a shot because he's not the dog, but I'm betting on him with Joe Lozon because, look, it's one of those parlays where I know both guys could fuck it up. That's why I put them together. That way I minimize my risk. And, um, man, look, Kevin Casey comes out and throws bombs. He can take dudes down early. He's got nasty jujitsu. But that heart, that mind, that spirit, I just don't see it there, bro. And maybe it's uh, the fact that he ain't on the juice anymore. Maybe it's the fact that he was never that tough to begin with. So, uh, look, man, as long as Sam Alvey lets, lets it go, He's going he's gonna to take care of uh, Kevin Casey and finish him here. So, yeah, Sam Alvey is my pick. Just fucking don't just stand there and smile, bro. Throw your fucking hands. That Elias fight, I could not believe that shit. You know, the Elias fight was so bad that I, I did the dumb mistake of betting Eric Spicely against him, which was, <laughs> which was terrible. Yeah. But, uh, look, man, just, just, just please fight. Let your hands go. If Sam Alvey lets his hands go – he will knock out Kevin Casey. So, Cody, is, is he going to let his hands go, or is he going to fucking stare at him this time? Well, it's funny because people are really harsh on on Sam Alvey when they're like, well, you know, he never fights, he never fights. And, you know, for the most part, I, I feel like I'm one of those people that say that. But literally, other than the Tom Watson fight and the Elias Theodoru fight, like, when when does he not fight? He's got three first-round finishes in the UFC. He took out Dan Kelly in under a minute. He took out Cesar Ferreira in about a minute. He took out uh, Dylan Andrews in, like, three minutes. And his last fight against Eric Spicely, he completely beat the shit out of him until he finished him in the second round. So he's got four finishes in the UFC, three in the first round. And I, and, I, and I just feel like people are really harsh on him when they're just like, well, you know, he just sits around, he sits around. Well, I saw Cody, Cody. So sorry to interrupt you. The only reason I'm harsh on him is because I fucking lost a lot of money on him, and I'm screaming at my TV like, "Bro, there's an open target. Throw a fucking punch." But in how many fights have you lost money on him? In the Elias Theodoru fight? Uh, on on the Watson fight, and then also, you know, even in the Mutanj fight where he won and he fucking blasted him into outer space. The first three minutes, he doesn't throw a single punch. I'm like, dude, are, are we getting back to the same shit? That's again? what he does. I'll admit. I, 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 I'm, listen, I feel you. Okay, That's what Sam Alvey does. But Sam Alvey thinks he has some master plan where he's like, I'm going to counterpunch the shit out of this guy when he comes and gets some. And when you're Lies Theodoru and you're playing like a middleweight Clay Guida just running around the perimeter, it's like this guy's not coming to get some. Against Tom Watson, he almost knocks Watson out clean in the third round. And I'm not going to lie. I lost money on that fight as well. I was like, why did you not do this earlier? Just kill him already. <laughs> 
and it's just like he just he, he doesn't go for it when he needs to. But I, I saw an interview with him like a year and a half, two years ago, and he mentioned he's like, that's the biggest thing I have to worry about, uh, work on, is I'm a very slow starter, and I know that. And since then, he's gotten a, a string of victories in which he's been able to go out there and stop his opponents. So I think Sam Alvey has a great shot of stopping Kevin Casey here as well, mostly because Kevin Casey will do what Kevin Casey does every single time. He'll go out, he'll have a good first round, he'll work for some takedowns, he'll pressure him up against the cage, but he'll start to tire, he'll start to get hit. And I think in the second round, he'll tire even more. And it'll be very similar to the Rafael Natal fight. Only Natal's able to just take him down, get on top of him, pound him out. Sam Alvey will probably just get the job done standing. But it's you know it's possible Kevin Casey hits the ground and he gets on top of him and pounds him out. I, I feel you. Listen, Kevin Casey, I, I never mean to ever talk shit about these guys. I know sometimes it comes off as being disrespectful. But it's like, listen, I mean, we're here for an entertainment show. And also, this is how I feel, man. This is the picks that I'm going with. And I'm trying to explain why. But Kevin Casey's a guy, man, that is not a, an underachiever. He's a never-fucking-achiever, okay? He made his UFC – sorry, he made his MMA debut, I believe, on a K1 Heroes show that I remember watching live like in 2007 against uh, Minowa Man, Ikusi Minowa, right? He goes out there, and he's a Hicks and Gracie black belt, favored over this Japanese pro wrestler, and he gets his ass kicked. <laughs> surfaces later surfaces later in Strike Force Challenger series. Wins his first fight. They match him up against the main event Strike Force Challenger series against Matt Linlin. Gets his fucking ass kicked. Then he disappears again. He resurfaces in the Ultimate Fighter House. He lost to Bubba McDaniel, man. He quit and he lost to Dylan Hart as well. And Bubba McDaniel, where he quit on his stool and was like, sorry. So listen, he should have never made it to the UFC. He should not have made it to the UFC. But he did. He made it to the UFC. That's fine. But now you gotta look at it, it's like well, Rafael Ildemar Alcantara, you got the worst guy in the division, and you had a terrible performance, and you squeaked it out. But hey, man, that's a win. That's a win right there for Kevin Casey. So you're just going to keep him relevant. Then Rafael Natal knocks him out. It's like, okay, you know what? We give him one more. One more, and we'll cut him. But it's an eye poke. So you got to give him one more. But it's a draw. So you got to give him one more. When does it end, man? When does it end? It ends right here. Sam Alvey puts him away. Kevin Casey gets cut. I wish him nothing but the best. Not in his rap career, if you've ever seen that. Good God. Give your head a shake, kid and Kevin Casey. Give your head a shake. <laughs> hey, man, we wish them all the best. And uh, may the better man win. Look, if Kevin Casey is the better man, then much respect. You know, all, all this talk, when, when I say, when I, when I call someone a quitter, I'm not talking about being a quitter at life. I'm talking about being a quitter on the professional level, at the highest level. Like, I fully comprehend that, you know, they could barely touch me with a jab and I'd go unconscious. Like, like I get it, man. It's no big deal. Y'all would fuck me up. But here, man, that's just how we talk on these breakdown shows, right, Cody? That's exactly it, dude. I mean, listen, and the also thing, and I'll give him props here. Listen, let's say we were in Georgia right now, and I say, Daniel, let's let's go for a drink. We're out. We're having a good time. Two guys get into a scuffle in the bar. We don't know who they are. We've never met them. One guy walks out, and he looks like Kevin Casey, and one guy looks like fucking Sam Alvey. I bet you, <laughs> I bet you 15 to 1. Whatever you want, dude. I'm thinking Kevin Casey. Unfortunately, bar fights get stopped real quick before the one guy completely gasses out. Kevin Casey's got 15 minutes to work with, and that's just too much time. Yeah, and all my friends, you should avoid a fight at all costs because you never know if someone has a weapon or what they know. Just avoid a fight at well, all I think costs. We were, we were watching the fight, Daniel. We were not partaking. We were making, oh, yeah, of course. We were, we were making of course. some side bets on the side. I'm sure there's some laws against that, but, you know, it was all good fun. Is the fucking Cobra versus the Mongoose, you know what I'm saying? I love it. Yeah, man. But on my point I was making, don't don't start a street fight. Go join a martial arts gym. Go into those sparring sessions and never get into a fight ever in your life. Now, next up, 
unless you have to defend someone like your best friend. Now, next up, we got uh, Shane Campbell, who's minus 125. And uh, Felipe, or Felipe Silva is plus 105. Now, look, I got so much respect for Shane Campbell. Dude is, is tough as nails. You know, former K1 champion, Muay Thai world champion. It's just his last fight with Coke. He took it when he was out of shape, injured, on short notice. He was like, oh, Coke's coming off a two-year layoff. I'm just going to go out there and smoke him real quick. And Coke just happened to be in the best shape of his life. And it was Coke that smoked fucking Shane Campbell. But, man, I think Campbell's known about this Vancouver event for a while. And I know he's training hard. This His back's up against the wall, man. So he's going to bring uh, something serious here. And with Philippe uh, Silva, yeah, yeah, good striking, good off his back. First time out of Brazil, that's a big factor. I got to go with Shane Campbell here. And just as a fan, I got to go with Shane Campbell. But as a betting man, I got to go with Shane Campbell too, man. You know, I think he's going to finally get it done and get that second UFC victory. And he can even get some takedowns in this fight, man. But uh, that striking, offensively, it's great. It's just uh, the striking defense. I don't know if it's the tall man syndrome. I think it's more of he's had so many fucking wars in those Muay Thai fights that there's only so much you can take. But uh, I think he's going to get it done here. What do you think, my man? Yo, it's the, definitely the Muay Thai thing, man. People don't get it, but Shane Campbell's had some like 70 Muay Thai fights. So uh, when guys move in on him, he stands up and he almost puts his leg up like he wants to check a kick. And then they just dump him because he's on one leg. Like his takedown defense is bad as a result of years and years and years of training Muay Thai. But it's obviously something he's working on. It's funny you mentioned, last fight he said the same thing going into Coke. He's like, man, I had the worst training camp ever. So I spoke to him last week about the upcoming fight. And I said, well, you know, you talked about how bad the training camp was last time. You know, how, you know, was it any better this time? Like, what were the improvements this time? And he's like, uh, you do what you can, you know. It was okay. <laughs> so he hasn't had a good camp again coming into this fight. Oh, man. <laughs> The thing is about Shane Campbell, and I'm a giant Shane Campbell fan, is that he has very low ring IQ. He chooses to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. Even the Eric Koch fight. Eric Koch, honestly, has never shot. He had never shot a takedown in his UFC career. He had never shot a takedown in his WEC career. And if he had, I believe it was a fight against Jamil Massou in like 2008, 2009. It's been a really long time since Koch ever even tried to take the fight to the ground. If you look at that fight almost in slow motion because it happens so fast, Shane Campbell hurts him. Lands a couple good shots in a knee, and it causes Coke to be like, fuck this, I'm going to take this guy down. But when he does take him down, he kills him. And when James Krause takes him down, he kills him. And they're all they're just so much better on the ground than he is because he spent so much time perfecting his Muay Thai craft. But now he's got a guy that's literally got the word Muay Thai tattooed on his chest. So <laughs> Johnny Eduardo any, style? Yeah, so if there's anybody that you're going to get into a fight with here that you should be able to beat... In a Muay Thai match, it's going to be him. And uh, you said first time out of Brazil. It's actually second time out of Brazil. He fought his last time out in Finland. But okay. certainly making that trek over. And Shane Campbell's a Wait, guy. Hold that, up. Let, let me guess. Did he beat Anton Kuivainen? You know he did. I straight up fucking guessed that. Because, oh, like, come on. No, no, no. Anton Kuivainen. He's who you, you beat if you win in Finland. Dude, it's so funny. All these motherfuckers have been beating that dude to get into the UFC. Like you, As soon as you mentioned Finland, I knew who was the guy you were referring to. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, T-Bell Gowdy on the card, he, he did the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Eric Reynolds beat him in, like, under 30 seconds. It's just it's just the way it goes, man. But, uh, yeah, listen, good good fighter. No, no knock against him, but it's just not necessarily – if you're going to come in and fight Shane Campbell and your primary weapon here is – and listen, I've seen this kid hit the ground before. I've seen Felipe Silva work on the ground, and 
he was okay. But I'd find it hard to believe that he's going to go out and outwork him for 15 minutes. And why would that be his game plan when he himself is a 9-0 Muay Thai fighter as well? He probably wants to stand and bang. So am I worried for Shane Campbell? Tad bit. I've seen Shane Campbell get dropped a number of times in the past. I've seen Jesse Ronson drop him in the AFC Regional up in Canada. I've seen, obviously, John McDessie completely wreck him with straight shots. It's just John McDessie is a very clean, precise puncher. And Felipe Silva is your generic shoot-to-box style you know, fighter coming out of Brazil. I think that they want to get Shane Campbell a win here, and they like him. He's a likable guy. He's got a good fight style. And uh, the fact that he's not already released shows that they like the guy. They're giving him a one more shot, and they're giving him a very winnable one more shot. Problem is, I don't think I'm going to bet this one. I think I'm going to stand out. Maybe it's my bias towards Shane Campbell because I like him so much. I have a tendency to bet. I'd, I'd, I'd bet him higher. But uh, his ring IQ has kind of bothered me over his last couple of fights, and he does have a lot of wear and tear on him, being that he's had 100 fights combined between Muay Thai and, uh, and MMA. And you got Felipe Silva, who's got a big question mark on him as he's kind of a bit of an unknown. So probably going to pass on this one. Well, there's a reason that they kept Shane Campbell around because he steps up. He'll fight anyone, yeah. anytime, any place, and he's a real fighter. doesn't come to hump your fucking leg and make the crowd boo. He comes to fight. That's why they kept him around. The UFC loves real fighters. Now, real quick, man, I just need some quick picks on uh, Alex Ricci, who's plus 135, and Jeremy Kennedy, who's minus 155. No breakdown, just a quick pick. I've been bouncing around on that one hard. You'd want to go dog, and if dog's going to be Ricci, you want Ricci. But Kennedy's okay. a purple belt under Bibiano Fernandez, and he's dangerous. So I'm, I'm flip-flopping on that one. All right, one, one, one other quick pick. Adam Hunter, not our boy, MMA Rosa. The, the other Adam Hunter is minus 160, and uh, Ryan James is plus 140. Now, real quick. Is Ryan James a straight jiu-jitsu guy, or is he a drop-you-and-tap-you-out guy? He's more of a straight jiu-jitsu guy. He's a black belt in BJJ, and then, yeah, he, he, he considers himself well-rounded, which means he works mitts in the gym, but he doesn't spar. He doesn't want to get hit. He's 35 years old, man. Keep that in mind. Wait, Six wait, wait. James is, is 35? James is 35, yeah. So, I mean, okay. that's, that's got to be worrisome right off the bat. Adam Hunter's only 32, which is fairly old, but, I mean, that's still kind of around the prime of your life. And the thing is, man, and I've seen this time and time again, even guys like a Tom DeBlas. Tom DeBlas is, like, the <laughs> best American grappler. He's, he's kicking so much ass, it's unbelievable. But when you're an elder grappler and your primary weapon is I need to get the guy to the ground and submit him, and your grappling's – sorry, your grappling's great, but your wrestling's not, it hurts you. And James might be hurt in there. The reason why I am taking James is two reasons. One, dog money. Second of all, as I mentioned, he's a black belt. Adam Hunter is a two-stripe white belt. And all of his fights are first-round knockouts. So, Daniel, what do you think is going to happen when he doesn't knock this guy out in the first round and he ends up on his back? He's going to get fucked up, man. Yeah. There you go. That's all right, I have. I'm a two-stripe white belt. I'm a two-stripe white belt. And I, I have rolled probably six black belts in my entire life, including one who fought in the UFC, Antonio Carvalho. And, like... You, you know how it is, man. It's not even, like, remotely competitive. It's like a full-grown man smacking around a fucking small child. And I'm not <laughs> saying that James is going to do that to Hunter. Hell, he might tire out and not get the takedowns and get knocked down. Don't get me wrong. However, if the fight does hit the ground, I'd expect to just see a big class difference. Dude, speaking of rolling with those fucking serious uh, jiu-jitsu guys. I roll with Tex Johnson, who, you know, set the Bellator record for the fastest submission in Bellator history when he tapped out Brendan Ward. You know, and he was taking it easy on me, of course. Hey, dude, it's like going through a fucking minefield. It's just, it, it's a whole nother world. And if that's what's going to happen on Saturday night, it's going to be very entertaining to watch. 
Yeah, that's exactly. And I think when you when you look at Adam Hunter, dude, like all of his knockouts are fast, man. Like against Chris Dempsey, he goes out there, but it, you know, it's a sloppy ass head kick, right? Sloppy ass head kick that boots Dempsey and knocks him out. And, and it's Chris Dempsey, back. so who gives a fuck? Chris Dempsey, but but on paper, shit, he just knocked out a UFC veteran who beat Eddie Chuck Gordon, a tough winner. He knocked this guy out in a minute. The other guy, the other guy's coming off a win over. Brandon Kornberger. Kornberger's a tough <laughs> motherfucker, dude. That guy's a tough dude. Prior to that, and fourth round submission, right? So it shows you that even later hey, in the fight, he's still like with his submissions, right? I like, I like one that. guy that finishes early and one guy that's proven to go late and still finish. So I, I, I got to go with that guy. And James is from Vancouver, where you got Hunter. He's from New Brunswick, man. And yo, listen, if you don't know nothing about Canada, just look at a map. That's a long fucking way to go, man. Hey, I like that experience of having fought in the fourth round. That's a big deal. You know, all that experience counts when you make your UFC debut. But uh, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Cody, what's the fight to watch for UFC Vancouver? Jeez, it's going to be a tough one when you think about one particular fight you're going to watch. However, you'd be foolish to not say Jim Miller versus Joe Lozon because it's not like the last fight was a fight of the night. It was a fight of the year, man. And it was like a top 10 fight of the decade. Like, it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant display of martial arts and heart and will and all those things. And then on top of that, you look at the fact that Joe Lozon is tied. I think him and Diaz are tied now, but Joe Lozon is the bonus hunter of bonus hunters. He's always in good fights. And Jim Miller is in good fights unless he's getting overmatched. But this is a fight where he's matched up well. So I was going to say Paige Van Zandt, Beck Rawlings, because I got big question marks in that fight. And I think Beck Rawlings is going to – she's going to ask the questions. And I don't know if Paige Page has got the answers. But it's got to be Miller versus Lowe's on the fight to watch. Well, I'm going to be foolish and pick something else. And my fight to watch is Anthony Showtime Pettis versus Charles Dubronx Oliveira. Look, this is a crossroad fight for both fighters. For Anthony Showtime Pettis, he has the opportunity to snap a three-fight losing streak and start a new slate in a new weight class. And if he gets this victory here over a top 10 guy, he could make a title run at 145 pounds. Now with Dubronx, if he wins this fight – I mean, that's the biggest name on his resume that he's ever uh, that he's ever fought or beat. So if he's able to do that, either guy, it's going to propel them to that next level. That is your fight to watch. Now, Cody, who is the fighter to watch for UFC on Fox? Fighter to watch for UFC on Fox. I'm going to say Alex Ricci, and I know that one sounds totally out of left field. I mean, he's the very first fight on Fight Pass, I believe. He's coming in on like two weeks notice. Alex Ricci, man, and this is nowhere to lie about him. If you train with him, you've seen him. He's one of the most skillful guys that you've seen in a long time. He's also a Canadian Muay Thai champion, a guy that has competed with the likes on the same level as Shane Campbell. His takedown defense, ridiculous. I saw EJ Brooks, former NCAA Division One guy out of Missouri, who beat Michael Chandler in the wrestle-off to get that spot. I've seen this guy fall flat trying to take down Alex Ricci over and over again. Alex Ricci has fought in front of 10,000 people in, in, in Lumpany Stadium in Thailand. His main striking coach, Evan Boris, is now the assistant striking coach at the Black Zillions gym. He has shown Alex Ricci everything that there is to show him. Alex Ricci knows everything there is to know. He has gone to the gym. I have heard from more than one credible source that in sparring sessions in the gym, he can hang with Eddie Alvarez. Now, all that sounds great. The guy is a total mental case. He has anxiety. He's in his own head. He's the worst game day performer you've ever seen. His losses were all because he got gun shot. He won his first five fights, Daniel, all by knockout. Five and oh, five knockouts. Then he lost to Jesse Ronson in a fight he got really banged up in. And it changed his outlook. 
He stopped taking as many risks. He stopped second-guessing everything. My last point on this, dude, Alex Ricci actually had a, a potential fight scheduled in Japan in like three or four weeks from now, right? He has tried out for the Ultimate Fighter twice. Both times was rejected. It's his dream to fight in the UFC. That's all he's ever wanted. Every time he gets to that level, if he beats Ryan Healy, he goes to the UFC, loses. Well, if you beat Daryl Horcher, you'll go to the UFC, loses. He always falls flat. Why? Because those are the fights with the most pressure, and he can't handle the pressure. So now he has this fight in Japan in like a month from now. And the UFC calls in, got the UFC, and he's saying, he goes, well, what am I going to do about this fight in Japan? Who fucking cares about the fight in Japan? It's gone. You're in the UFC now. Who cares about your verbal handshake with somebody? Listen, dude. Do you even know who you're fighting? You, you need to study Jeremy Kennedy. And then the UFC, they always send out a, a questionnaire when you sign, when, when you're going into a fight, you get a questionnaire. His, what do you what do you think on Jeremy Kennedy? He says, I don't know. I'm sure he knows how to punch and kick. That's what he says in his questionnaire. He's overlooking Kennedy. So yeah, dude, he's more talented than Kennedy. He really is. Problem is, he can, he's not above just falling flat and having a flat performance. I like the guy a lot. I really do. I think he's a good dude. And I think he's so fucking skilled, man. It's scary. But he can't pull it off game night, and everybody knows a fighter like that, and he's very much that guy. And Kennedy's not even a 55er. He's a 45er who's campaigning as a 55er simply to also get in the UFC. So I'm very interested in this fight. And I think if Ricci can go there and finally just, like, be free and let loose and be himself, he's, he's a good fucking dude, man. Only he's 34 and he hasn't done it yet. So time's definitely ticking out on him. My fighter to watch is Alessio DiCirico. Look... Alessio is no slouch. Alessio comes to fight. Alessio is experienced. And in this spot, he's going to go out there. It's going to be a showcase. And when you get fed a can, you have to handle them accordingly. You don't go to a split decision with them. You don't fucking, you know, lose the fight outright to them. You go out there and make a statement. And a statement is what will be made on Saturday night when Alessio DiCirico fights Gareth McClellan. Therefore, he is your fighter to watch. I put three units on him straight. And let's fucking get it, man. So, Cody, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. Always a pleasure, my man. You're killing it with a bookie beatdown as always. And, uh, dude, I saw you hosting your own shows too. So, fuck, man, you're uh, moving up the ranks. And uh, it's good to see that, man. It's always good to see good people succeed. So let the audience know what's up, where to follow you, anything else you want to plug. Now's the time, brother. Yeah, thanks, man. I do appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, as always. I, uh, I enjoy when the UFC comes to Canada, mostly because I get to do the show. Kidding. I love doing the show. But, hey, dude, more UFC, the better. People are complaining there's only three weekends off the rest of the year. I'm in on that. And, uh, yeah, if you want to talk about Bellator, there's actually a legitimate card coming up this weekend as well. We want to talk Titan or RFA or World Series of Fighting or, you know, Invicta. I don't care, man. MMA is my thing. I love it. You can catch me at CJ Saptic on Twitter. Add me up on Facebook if uh, you think I'm that cool of a guy. Probably, preferably on Twitter. But, you know, I I'm, I'm here for the peoples. And in terms of shout-out, I always shout-out Paul Shaughnessy because, you know, nothing, none of this would be made possible without him. But uh, I want to shout-out Wes Reynolds for beating my ass in Toutmaster because that guy's making me better, man, and I'm coming for that top slot. I am. I cannot be denied. It's my destiny. I have to fucking remove the sword from the fucking stone and win Toutmaster. It just has to happen. And this guy's fucking good, man. All the props in the world to that guy. And uh, he's, you know, he's the prized possession of Indiana as far as I'm concerned. But I, I got to beat the guy, Daniel. I'm sitting fourth, and I got to make that run for one.
<laughs> well, I'm sitting like in like 104th or some shit, man. I'm I'm slowly uh, digging the grave. I, I dug the gra the grave a little longer, a little wider. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but yeah, man, I'm a uh, you know, look, man. Number one goal is to cash these bets. And for everyone listening, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate the support. I'm uh I'm never gonna fucking sell out or any bullshit like that. You know, some people are talking shit, but look, man. I'm still the same guy. I want to thank you all for the support. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. Go to bestfightpicks.com. Follow me on Twitter at bestfightpicks. Man, this week I got to go on the Anik and Florian podcast. Wasn't that absolute... last night actually, man? Good job. I appreciate that, man. It was an absolute honor. I mean, you know, it's always been a dream of mine to be on air with John Anik and Kenny Florian, and for that to finally happen, and even in a four-minute spot. I mean, it was an absolute dream come true. You can check it out. It's on this week's episode, and I, I hope that's a, you know, a sign of things to come, man. I'm out here grinding, so that's the bottom line. So until the next time, let's cash these bets. <laughs>